Well, let's pray together, shall we? Father, it's with joy that we've gathered this morning, even on this winter's morning. And we thank you that you are a loving Heavenly Father and a good shepherd and that you guide and guard your sheep, that you are sovereign over our affairs and we can trust in you. Father, would you strengthen us through your word today? Um, We need it. We um, run on empty so often and we live scattered, harried lives. And we need to just focus on you and hear your word and quiet our hearts. Father, thank you for the strengthening factor that it always is to gather together as our church family. And we just pray that you would visit us now through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's a story that I've used numerous times in the past. It's been quite a while. It's an illustration of how... People can take the Bible and really distort it. I don't know if you've experienced that before in your life, but people will pick and choose and then they will quote scriptures and you know that they really don't know anything that they're talking about and they really often are the last person that knows very much about the Bible. It reminds me of this story uh, that is sort of worn out, but it's funny. It's a young seminary graduate who thought he knew a lot about the Bible and he was seeking his first church pastorate. So a pulpit committee requested an interview with him. And by the way, be praying for our search here for a children and family ministries pastor. Hopefully it's not this guy. But um, as the seminary student met with the pulpit search committee, the chairman began questioning him. And he said, young man, do you know your Bible? And the young man replied, yes, sir. I know the Bible from the front to the back. A lot of people think that. Another asked him, well, young man, do you know the stories and the parables of Jesus? And the candidate answered, oh, yes, I know all the stories and the parables of the Bible. Another committee member said, well, why don't you take a minute and tell us one of the parables of Jesus? Let's say the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so he said, sure. And it went like this. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus who went down to Jericho by night and he fell among stony ground. And the thorns rose up and choked him nearly half to death. And he said, what shall I do? And then he said, I shall arise and go to my father's house. And he arose and he climbed up into a sycamore tree. And the next day, Solomon and his wife Gomorrah came by and they carried him down to the ark for Moses to take care of him. And as he was going through the eastern gate into the ark, he caught his hair on a limb and he hung there for 40 days and 40 nights. And afterward, he hungered and the ravens came and fed him. And the next day, the three wise men came and carried him down to Nineveh. And when he got down there, he found Delilah sitting on the wall. And he cried out, chunk her down, boys. And they said, how many times shall we chunk her down? Unto seven times? And he said, nay, but unto 70 times seven. So they chunked her down 490 times. And then she burst asunder in their midst and they picked up 12 baskets of her fragments. And they asked him, and then they asked him, Lord, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be? And the pulpit committee chairman spoke up right about then. And he said, folks, I think we ought to call him. I know he's young, but he sure knows his Bible. (laughs) Well, if you didn't get that, you don't know your Bible. (laughs) But as we open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, we are in a section of Scripture that, that gets quoted by people who don't really know their Bible. And it also gets twisted and turned. And people want the Bible 
uh, to mean certain things and to say certain things. And sometimes it's not as easy as that. And we have in our text today just a really interesting passage of Scripture. And um, I want us to, to take a look at it as we look at our text, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. I want to pick up and comment just briefly on verse 6. So starting into chapter 7, that when, I can't remember the last time we met. I think it was two weeks ago today. And we talked about judging and we had about half of our chairs empty. Um, because remember, that was a snow day too. This is the third Sunday in a row that we've had pretty poor weather. And um, this was the judge not lest you be judged passage that we talked about, remember? And that's a passage that people who know nothing about the Bible love to spout out, Right? Judge not, lest you be judged. And really the passage talks a lot about having discernment, but it's about making sure that we're in a position to have discernment. And immediately in verse 6, he, he closes out that section. Jesus is teaching, and Sermon on the Mount is where we are. And Jesus then says something very odd in verse 6. And I never completed it, and I was still kind of pondering the flow of the passage. And then all of a sudden, Jesus says... Okay, this is where he says in verse 4, How can you say to your brother, let, him take the speck out, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It's not that we're not supposed to take the speck out of our brother's eye, it's to make sure we get the log out of our own eye before we do that. So we are to be discerning. We are to have judgment. And in fact, we illustrated two weeks ago, and you can pick it up on the internet, we illustrated a variety of scriptural passages that showed us how important it is for spiritual people and godly people. And there's testimony in scripture where God's people were regularly judgmental in an appropriate sense. Jesus then spouts out a proverb that I suspect would have been known in that day. And it's very odd to our ears. It's verse 6. Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So he's talking about this section on judgment, and, and notice in that part, we emphasized this two weeks ago, that he talked about judging your brother. So he's talking about people who are part of God's family, God's children. That's who our brothers and sisters are. That I have a responsibility with my brother. Um, I go downtown and, and I see my brother, Joe Palmer, shoplifting at the 7-Eleven. And I obviously, he's got him some donuts and some coffee and a newspaper and he walks out without paying. And I, um, what's going on? I have a responsibility, and we're going to get to this more specifically in Matthew uh, 19, Matthew 18, we're gonna, where I have a responsibility. Say, my brother can't do that. And the idea there is that if I have, if I'm not involved in, in Grand Theft Auto, that's a video game, I shouldn't have mentioned that, I don't know about it, but like if I'm not involved in a car stealing ring, that would be the log in my own eye. I steal cars for a living. I have no business going up to Joe and getting after him for stealing coffee and donuts from 7-Eleven. That's getting the log out of my eye to get the sliver out of his eye. But as I am a spiritual godly man and I'm walking with the Lord, I love my brother. I have a responsibility to confront him. What Jesus says is I don't have a responsibility to police the whole world, the hogs and the dogs. Is it? When you talk spiritual truth to unsaved pagan people, do they get it? They 
don't get it at all. In fact, they often mock it and trample it underfoot, don't they? And so in this passage, you need to understand that a dog to a Jew, and remember Matthew is a very Jewish book, It's Jesus speaking to a Jewish audience. So they understood things culturally and historically that we have to kind of stop and think about. And and casting, giving to dogs what is holy in the Hebrew mind and the Jew of that day would have thought right away of, of offering meat that was... Uh, kind of a sanctified ceremonial food, throwing that and giving it to a dog. You didn't do that. Dogs were an unclean animal. And you didn't do that. Or taking precious pearls and giving them to swine. They don't care. Swine don't have any discernment between kernels of corn or, or pearls. And in fact, they'll root around and tromp them underfoot. Nothing is sacred to them. And his point is, your job, and there's other testimony in Scripture, we'll not take time to go there, um, where we're exhorted, listen, I'm not talking about the sin of the world. If you're going to deal with the sin of the world, you'd have to leave the world because there's sin everywhere. I'm talking about sin in the body. And that's what he's talking about here. So there's a proverb that when, when we deal with judging our brother... And when we have this awesome responsibility of loving one another so much that we help one another walk in righteousness and truth, that it doesn't mean the dogs and the hogs. And that's not, um, we, we just sang God so loved the world. God loves the world and we love the world too. And we care very much about those who are outside of Christ. But the point is they don't care about sacred things and that's not who we're trying to go judge. I hope that makes sense to you a little bit. And I just wanted to comment on that before we moved on, because that Matthew 7, verse 6 is really an interesting verse. You know, don't give the dogs what's holy. Don't cast your pearls before swine. And some of you know what it feels like. And you've, you've tried to witness to somebody and you've tried to point things of God out to somebody and they've mocked you and they've made fun of you and they've put you down and you've felt your spirit close towards them, haven't you? The Spirit of God closes your spirit towards them. You walk away from their desk or you walk away from the job site where this conversation or lunch counter, where this conversation took place and the thought goes through your mind, well, don't cast your pearls before swine. And that's not an inappropriate thought. That's an appropriate thought. You pray for that person, you care about that person, but there's nothing you can do to judge their life and they don't get spiritual things. Jesus then goes into a really fascinating text, and this is our text for today. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give things to those who ask him? Who ask him? Here's... Back to my introduction, a passage of scripture that has to do with uh, the kinds of things that people pick out of the Bible and they hold on to. And this one pretty much makes sense that you would hold on to it and you would wonder, well, what is Jesus saying here? Let's look at our opening verse there. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. 
The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be open. And then he goes on to illustrate that by saying that we are talking to our Heavenly Father and that our Heavenly Father, using, as Jesus did in the teaching technique, the argument of lesser to greater, that is, if you who are evil, just an acknowledgement of the base sinful heart of all of mankind, okay, if we who are at our base, evil, know how to give good gifts to our children. That's the lesser, arguing to the greater. How much more does your Heavenly Father know how to give good gifts to you when you ask? So obviously it's talking about prayer at some level, right? It's talking about us going to God and asking and seeking and knocking. Now let me make sure I say this because I'm going to compress thoughts here a little bit this morning and I might miss some things that are important. And I don't want to do that. There, we won't get into a grammar lesson, but just trust me that these verbs of asking, seeking, and knocking, that these verbs are in the perfect tense. And that means that they, the idea here is that they are action that begins now and it continues. It doesn't stop. Okay, so the idea is the tense of this verb is that it starts and it doesn't stop. So a way of saying it would be that you continually ask, you are continually seeking and you are continually knocking. All right, this is ongoing. It never stops. All right. And you can kind of see here that that it begins with and and some commentaries, they don't like this approach and other commentaries seem to kind of latch on to this idea that there is a progression here, even though they're all happening at the same time. You are to be an asker before God. You ask and keep on asking. You seek and keep on seeking. You knock and keep on knocking. But you can kind of see a a progression, can't you? I'm going to ask. And then it's going to be going to raise my level of urgency and I'm going to be seeking. And then finally, it's with even a higher level of urgency, I'm knocking on the door. And so there is sort of a progression along with the continuation of the verb form that this is something that we are to be after. And then what do you make of this then? That he says, if you ask, you'll receive. I mean, how many of you have asked God and he's never given it to you? He said, well, Lord, what do I do with this first? You said, if I ask you, and Lord, I want that pickup right there. The red one with the wheels. Chrome wheels. A truck with no wheels is no good, of course. You know what I'm saying here, right? I don't have to illustrate this further. So let's break this down. The first thing I want you to see, number one, is that you need to understand, number one, that this passage is not a license for indulgence. It is not a license for indulgence. And you say, well, Pastor Van, it's what it says. It says if you ask, you receive. If you seek, you find. If you knock, it'll be opened unto you. And God knows how to give greater gifts than an fa- earthly father. So what do you make of this? All right, well, let me, let's just think about a few things here. First of all, under the fact that this is not a license for indulgence is, number one, the testimony of our daily reality. The testimony of our daily reality. What about our daily reality? I think that we have a lot of mature Christians here. 
I think we have a lot of people who um, for many years, decades, have been walking with God, have been praying, and I can assure you that all of the mature Christians here have on their prayer list things that they have asked for and asked for and asked for, and it hasn't happened. God hasn't given it. He hasn't, he hasn't opened the door. It just hasn't happened. Okay, so one thing we know right away, we step back from the passage and we were puzzled by it because of our daily reality. This hasn't happened in every case. I asked God to take the cancer away. The cancer didn't go away and the person died. The loved one died. What is that all about? So I have the testimony of my daily reality. The second thing that comes to my mind right away, okay, is... The reality of our Father's sovereignty. Now stop and think about this. It only takes a minute to think about this passage to realize that it cannot be understood as some kind of big lever that we grab and pull down and the heavens pour out like a heavenly credit card. This verse is my heavenly credit card. I swipe the ask, seek, not credit card and God gives me. It's what he said. He's going to give it to me. But stop for just a moment and think what that would mean. If every time I asked God for something and he gave it to me, who would be in charge? Who would be in charge? But God is sovereign. Now, I also know mature Christians who could give strong testimonies this morning about how thankful they are that God didn't answer their prayer. Right? Because you say, God, I need that guy right there. And he turns out to be the biggest dummy you've ever seen. And then you look back and you say, I am so glad God didn't give me that guy or that girl, right? God, I really want this job. And then the next week, your perfect job opened up and God knew to keep that door closed. See, God is sovereign. We're not sovereign. So this verse cannot be saying that it's up to me to get whatever I want. Lord, I want a Mountain Dew and an order of fries. I'm asking, you give it. It's like the State Farm commercials. A little shout out to Kay Lewis here. She had surgery on her knee, but Randy's here. The State Farm commercial, right? And the guy's got like the buffalo tearing his car, up, car apart in the, in the state park. And he's, I forget. He, State Farm, like a good neighbor, State Farm is here. Bam, the guy's there. In our office, bam, in their office. God, give it to me. Come on, bam, God is there. I ask God. God, I need this right now. My tire's flat. I need a tire. God, I'm asking you to fix my tire. Bam! That's utter nonsense. It's absolute utter nonsense. That cannot be what this text is teaching. Because if it were, first of all, our daily reality has fallen far short. Secondly, it neutralizes the sovereignty of God. God is in control, not me. And God knows that I'm not trustworthy enough to give me everything I ask for. You think about your attitudes and your inner thoughts, and you think about the things you would be asking God for, how wrong it would be. Ask, seek, knock. Flip the lever of heaven. Swipe the heavenly credit card. You'll get it. But isn't that how people approach this? They can't be finally. Or also on here, we also know that the teaching of Scripture brings biblical clarity on this teaching. Now, I need to go really fast right now, and if you like to take notes, just jot down the Scripture text, okay? And I'm just going to shout out some verses here. Okay, so what? let me just back up to make sure you understand what we're talking about. 
The first thing we're saying about this passage, ask, seek, knock, is that it is not a license for indulgence. The reason we know that is because of our own personal experience and reality of unanswered prayer. The second reason we know that is that it would neutralize the sovereignty of God. The third thing is, is the biblical clarity that gives us understanding about prayer. There's all kinds of reasons that God does not answer prayer. So you can't just pull your trump card out of your pocket, wave it in front of God, and say, ask, seek, knock. I get my new swimming pool this summer. Whatever. Because, all right, here we go. Here's some reasons why and what the Bible says. Psalm 66, 18. Psalm 66, 18. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened to me. One reason this isn't a credit card for heaven is because we're sinful people and we have sin in our hearts a lot of different times. And when we cherish sin in our hearts, God doesn't hear our prayer. Proverbs 28, 9. If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. You despise or disregard God's word. Some of you young people on the inside, you despise the word of God. You have a really horrible attitude towards the Word of God. You have a horrible attitude towards your parents trying to teach you. And you don't know why you can't choose your own way in this life. And you don't like coming to church. And you don't like going to youth group. And you just despise. And the Word of God is boring to you. And I want to tell you, don't even think for a second that God hears your prayers. Because when you despise the Word of God, Proverbs 28, 9 couldn't be clearer. If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, that's the Word of God, even his prayer is an abomination. John 9, 31, this is the man that was born blind that Jesus healed. And uh, he is the man. Uh, John 9, 31, that man, the man who was healed, gave this testimony. And it was a commonly known doctrinal reality. We know that God does not listen to sinners. John 9, 31, that man shouted out to the, we know that God does not listen to sinners. There's verses in the Psalms that reinforce that. Let's take our Bibles and turn quickly to James chapter 1. Together, let's look at James chapter 1 and look at a couple verses in James that apply to this. Hebrews, James chapter 1. Look what it says. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach. James 1, 5, going into verse 6, and it will be given him. Okay, so if we lack wisdom, we are to ask God. Ask and it will be given. See that? So one of the things we know that God will respond to is a prayer asking for wisdom. But notice the rest of the verses. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. So a prayer lacking faith does not get an affirmative answer. That's an interesting concept to think through. Look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Chapter 4 of James, verses 1 through 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? You want to know why you're fighting at your house? Why you're fighting with the neighbor? Here's why. Your passions are at war within you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covet. You cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. 
and you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. That's convicting, isn't it? He says, look, the idea here is that if you need it, you ask for it, I'll give it to you. But when you ask with the wrong motives and how often and sometimes we can't even discern within ourselves whether our motives are pure or not. You ever know that feeling? James reinforces the idea that this is not a heavenly credit card to be indulged. There's one other verse you might write down. It's 1 Peter chapter 3 and it's verse 7. And it's talking about the relationship between a husband and a wife. And it says here, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So when you're mean to your wife, husband, and you're, not, and you're not esteeming your wife as a joint heir together before the Lord, it actually puts a lid on your prayer life. So the Bible teaches us with clarity on a lot of different concepts and a lot of different levels that clearly, back to Matthew 7 now, that this cannot mean that I have a lever that I can pull and I indulge myself with an answer to my prayer anytime I want and then I'm mad at God. And have you ever talked to people who are mad at God? Oh, I assure you there's people in this room who've been mad at God. And sometimes people are mad at God because of this verse. God, I asked you. God, I've been seeking you all my life. God, I've been knocking down your doors of heaven and you haven't given it to me and I'm so angry. And the Lord knows our frame and it is but dust. He knows that we are frail people. But you know, that's partly because that's not really what Jesus means here, I don't think at all. So number one, as we look at this passage, number one, uh, this verse is not a license for indulgence. Number two, what I'd like you to see is though that this verse is um, a statement of assurance. It is a statement of assurance. Um, I, I got ahead of myself. I need to say something. Um, and well, we can just do it under this. So we'll just rearrange the, what I'm thinking here. As we look back at our text, and we see the clarity with which Jesus is speaking, obviously, it is something that should give us confidence, right? It is a statement of assurance. Notice the grammar. Ask and it, what's the next word? It will be. And he repeats that. And then in the next verse, look what he says. He reinforces what he just said. Also a teaching technique that Jesus used. He makes a statement. Then he goes back and says the same thing over again. And everyone who asks what? They receive. So this is something that is supposed to give us confidence. It is a statement of assurance. But here's the heart of the matter. This is what I don't want you to misunderstand. What Jesus is teaching in this passage is spiritual maturity. And the reason I use that illustration of the seminary student in the beginning of getting the Bible all mixed up is that I think that it is so important, especially in the Sermon on the Mount and in all other passages, to recognize the context in which Jesus is teaching. Jesus is teaching a connected message here. And notice what he says. Um, D.A. Carson says 
that the good things in verse 11, let your eyes fall down to good things in verse 11. How much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? See, right there is the catch. Because in our mind, right away, good things is my new deer rifle, my bass boat, my F-150 four-door with the extended cab, with the tow package, with the diesel. It's the new mini blinds I want for my family room and the sunroom to go with it. So what are good things? This is where we've got to stay in the context of his teaching. D.A. Carson, who is a, a New Testament scholar, our contemporary, um, says good things are the character qualities demanded by Christ in this sermon. Things like love and righteousness and humility and purity. Okay, so let's look back at what Jesus is saying. All right, he says in this passage that, in, let's go back to verse chapter 5, for example. He, he talks about um, people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. In the Beatitudes, all these qualities in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart. And so Jesus is teaching his audience. And he starts telling us, these are the people who will receive and enter the kingdom of heaven. And then you start thinking to yourself, but I'm not righteous in my heart all the time. But I'm not pure in my spirit all the time. And so that bothers you a little bit. And Jesus keeps on teaching. And then he says, and you are the salt of the earth. And you need to shine like a bright light in front of the world. And you say to yourself, but I don't shine like a bright light sometimes. Sometimes I shine like a terribly dark light. And I, I mess up. And then he says in verse 20 that I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you don't get to see God. You're never going to get in this kingdom. And then you say to yourself, it's hopeless. I can't come up with that kind of righteousness. And Jesus is continuing to teach. And he says, now don't lose your temper or it's going to be like murdering somebody. And you're like, oh man, I'm shot. I'm shot now. Because I really lost my temper the other day and said, I hate you to that guy. And, and then he says... Um, divorce and sexual immorality and man I can't undo the past on that and and my word meaning what it's going to be and then giving to the needy and praying and giving alms and praying and and doing that in secret and not doing it in such a way that it draws attention to myself and so there is a spiritual humility and a spiritual maturity that he's looking for here and I can't produce this and now he's saying don't be anxious lay up treasure in heaven don't live for this world are you kidding me I love this world how is it how do I lay things and now I'm worried about things. And then he says, don't judge lest you be judged, but get the beam out of your own eye. And then don't, don't cast your pearls before swine. And then he says, but don't panic. Ask and I'll give it to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and I'll open it to you. You know what he's talking about? In the context of the passage, I really believe this. He's saying, you need a righteousness that's not your own. You ask me and I'll give it to you. You seek for me and I'll, you'll find it. You knock and I'll open the door and, and I'll give it to you. This is not an indulgence. This is not a credit card. This is the ability to live out the spiritual maturity of the Sermon on the Mount. Ask me, I'll give it to you. You know, you know, you need discernment to know the difference between the hogs and the dogs and a brother who needs judge for shoplifting coffee at 7-Eleven. Ask me and I'll, boy, if you've ever been in that situation, and I have, you say, Lord, I don't know what to do, Lord. Ask, seek, knock, I'll give it to you. I'll give you what you need to live this life. That's what he's saying. I will give you what you need to live this life. And so, number two, this is a statement of assurance and confidence. I can live the Sermon on the Mount. 
Because if I ask, I seek, and I knock, and notice that I have to keep on doing it, you never attain. You have to go, 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 and then you get there, and there it is. You continually fight for it. That's my part. And God says, I'll give it to you. I think um, there is uh, then the parable that he gives, and we wrap it up with, or if... Uh, which of you, this is the argument of lesser to greater, verse 9 through 11. Which, of, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? If he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? See, if you're, if you're an earthly father, you know what to give your kids. And you know what they need. And so much more, at such a greater level, your heavenly father knows exactly what you need. And almost always, it's not the new Harley. It's a heart of righteousness that you can't muster up yourself. It's not a new pickup truck. It's a heart of purity and humility so that you can live out the Beatitudes. And Jesus said, ask, I'll give it to you. Seek, you'll find it. Knock, it'll be open to you. And some people have bailed on the Christian life because they, they feel like they can't live it. And this gives us confidence to live it. This is an assuring passage It gives us confidence. It is also, finally, a call for perseverance. Keep doing it. Don't give up. Ask, seek, knock. I'll give it to you. I think this is very encouraging. I think it's also very convicting. And I also find it very comforting that I can live the Christian life. I want to tell you, um, I'm every bit as human as everyone in this room. I have the... I have the most, uh, what's the word, overwhelming job to stand before the people and be perceived as a spiritual godly man, the pastor. And I fight with the flesh just like you do. I fight with worldly passions just like you do. I'm cross with my wife just like you are. I get lazy once in a while just like you do. And this is so encouraging to me that if I will ask and I will seek and I will knock, he'll give it to me. I'm going to keep on asking and I'm going to keep on seeking and I'm going to keep on knocking because I believe that Jesus meant what he said and that as I persevere in the Christian life doing my part, God will do his part at a greater level than even my father who would give me good gifts if he were here. Amen. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for this great passage of Scripture. It challenges us um, and it makes us think and it forces us to evaluate our priorities. And I just pray, Lord, that um, you would give to us, opening the gates of heaven, these qualities of righteousness and purity and humility and godliness that we need so desperately to be able to live out this sermon that Jesus preached to us. And we'll count on you to give that to us in Jesus' name.